I think that the word of God has something for us. Um, And so we're going to be looking at Matthew 15, Matthew chapter 15, verses 32 through 38. And for those who are here, if you could stand with me, we're going to read the word of the Lord together. I'm excited for this. Matthew chapter 15, verses 32 through 38. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint. Verse 33. And the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd. And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are a multiplying God, that you are a, a God who provides faithfully for your people, that you are a God who invites us to be part of what you are doing, not because you need it, but because you want us to be able to participate in the miracles that you have for our lives. And God, we thank you that you are a compassionate God who has given us your son, Jesus Christ, who has expressed your love through your generous giving of your own most precious valued possession, your son, so that we might experience the love of a father by being adopted into your family through the work of your son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life we should have lived and died the death that we deserve. And God, we thank you for the redemption that you've wrought in Christ for us And we pray that you would help us to live lives that by faith we offer what little we have to you so that you might accomplish your good purposes in our lives. God, make us a people who by faith, by trusting in Jesus Christ, offer what little we have to you in order to see you multiply it for your good purposes in our life. God, we trust you and we pray that you'd be with us us by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can sit down. So Jesus has been in this situation, in this story, Jesus has been with a a large crowd of people. And if we were to back up a little bit in verse 29, it's uh, Matthew tells us that Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there and a great crowd came to him bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they they put them at his feet and he healed them. So this was a day of ministry. This is a day of Jesus pouring out his life. This is the day of the crowds coming together and extending their trust, their faith, that Jesus was more than just a prophet. He was a man who had power and could change lives. And so the crowd followed him, and, and it says in verse 31, of of chapter 15, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. God moves on our behalf so that his glory might be expressed in the world. And so we see here that 
that Jesus is ministering, and, and this is largely to a group of, of, of Gentiles, which is interesting because the Jews had some background of understanding what God might do. Like I, I mentioned Isaiah 61, and if you've been in our Bible reading plan, uh, we, we read Isaiah 61 last week, and it speaks of this promise of the one who would come and he would heal the sick, he would um, heal the lame and the blind and the deaf and, and release the captives. This was a messianic promise that the Jews knew about, but the, the, the Gentiles didn't necessarily know, but they had heard something about the, uh, the, the, Jesus's fame. And so they had come to him to this area of the Decapolis south of the, the Galilean Sea. Um, and in this setting, we see that Jesus looks at the crowd and he has compassion on them. Now, clearly he had had compassion on them before in healing them and ministering to them, but it's interesting that he wasn't just interested in the, the, the big, flashy, miraculous things of, of okay, I'm going to make sure that this person can walk and this person can see and that person can hear, but he cared about what their, their food. And he says in verse 32, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. He said, I have compassion these people who had been sick, who'd come with their problems, who'd come with their brokenness, who'd come seeking someone who could save and help them, he saw them and his heart broke. His heart went out to them. He had compassion on them because they were hungry. And we, what we can glean from this is that, family, Jesus has compassion on you and me. He has compassion on you and me. Now, you may be in a season of time where you don't feel like God has compassion on you. You know, the pressure is on, you feel stressed out, you feel worried, and you wonder, God, where is your compassion for me? You know, they're getting their thing, they're getting their raise and I've been laid off, they're getting their health and I feel sick, they're getting their, you know, their marriage is perfect and my marriage is, is a mess. And as a side note, whenever you're looking in from the outside, things always look better than, than what is real. And, and maybe you're asking yourself, where is God's compassion for me? And I want to tell you that Jesus is compassionate toward you. <clears throat> we, we, we sometimes think of Jesus, or, or we think of God as, as this kind of Greek mytho mythological Zeusian uh, white guy with a long beard, no shirt on, a lightning bolt from heaven waiting to smite anyone who disobeys. When, when what really is going on is he is, a, he is a powerful God, but he's a powerful God for his people. That's why in, in Exodus, when, when God introduces himself in the Ten Commandments, he says, I am the Lord, I am the covenant God, your God, what? Who brought you out of slavery from Egypt. One of the first things he expresses is his, his, his compassion in action towards them. Who am I? I'm the God who saved you, who redeemed you, who paid for you. He's a compassionate God for you. He's looking at your plight with compassion. He's looking at the brokenness in your life with compassion. And he's motivated by it. Look at verse 32, the, the second part. I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And listen to this. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. He, he wasn't just, oh, I, I, I'm so sorry you're, you're having a tough day and then went to Sweetwater. It wasn't just, man, oh, tell me more about your, your challenges. Oh, that's, that's rough. And then he hung, hangs up the phone and he goes on to do his own other thing. His compassion leads him to action. 
He says, I am not willing to send them away hungry. I have a plan and a purpose for them to be filled in this moment. He knows their need. He's an attentive leader. He's been paying attention. He's not, he's not leading from 35,000 feet as a CEO of a, of a large corporation. This might as well have been a large corporation in terms of size. I mean, if, if these were employees and it's 4,000 men, not including women and children, we're not employing the children, but they are there uh, in this hypothetical situation. This is a large corporation and, and he looks out at them and he's not thinking to himself, okay, well, I'm gonna delegate this responsibility to others, but he owns the responsibility to meet the need that he sees. He's been meeting needs all throughout the day and even now this, what would seem like maybe a small need for them to have some food, he meets, he wants to meet their need. He knows their lack and he knows our needs. Family, God knows your needs. God knows your needs. Sometimes we, we, we either because they're too small or because we've been hurt, and we, we don't want to trust in God. We don't take our needs to God, but he's aware of them. He knows them. He's been watching you in your life. I just want to encourage you that if you're in a season where you feel like you're in a shadow, where you feel like, you know, what, what is overbearing and, and difficult in my life, I, I don't even want to share because so many other people have bigger problems. God, he's compassionate for you in your situation. You may not have the same problems as, as this person and they may seem tiny, but if they're big problems to you, he cares about them. You know, w when my daughter uh, gets a scrape and she wants a Band-Aid, you know, I, I, I let her, usually, I, I let her get a Band-Aid. And I don't say, well, you know, at least your leg didn't fall off. That guy over there, they've got bigger problems. You know, why don't you just toughen up a little bit? No, I, I address the need that she has. Now, I might try to help her in the middle of that and, and encourage her to, to put her faith in her daddy and to, and to believe that, that this is not that big of a deal, a scrape is not that big of a deal, but, but I care about her and I'm willing to approach her where she is. And in the same way, God is willing to approach you where you are. He, he understood their need. And he uses our lack. He uses what little we have you know, it's funny, the disciples are there and, and Jesus, he asks them, he begins this conversation with them and, and it, you know, what do you think we should do, guys? And, it, and if you sit back and think about it, it's ridiculous. I mean, this is the God of the universe where in, in the book of John, it shows us in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and it goes on to say, I think in verse 14, or no, that's, it, it, later on in chapter one, it says uh, that nothing was made that was made without him, which is terrible English to say he was part of the process of making everything. He, he, he didn't need the disciples. This wasn't a, okay, well, uh, okay, John, what do you have? Okay, Peter, what do you have? Okay, let me check my pockets. No, Jesus had everything he needed in his pockets, as it were. If they had pockets, who knows? I don't. But he had what he needed. This is the same God who provided for the, Egypt, for the Israelites in, in, in the, the, the wilderness. Right? He doesn't, he literally made manna fall from heaven. I mean, he, he had bread, loaves of bread, or my father-in-law would like to say Twinkies, fall from heaven. This is a man who doesn't need his disciples' help. And he, at the same time, 
He wants to give them an opportunity to experience the power of God. The disciples had seen Jesus do this before as well. In chapter 14, just, just one chapter before, we see Jesus interacting with the Jewish crowd and he does the same thing with 5,000 people. He shocks his disciples and says, we're gonna feed them. And there's a small amount that they offer. He breaks the bread and, and the fish and blesses it and, and feeds them. And yet here they're, they're, they're looking out at the crowd, they're looking at the circumstance and they, they forget in a moment. They forget in a moment. You know, the, the, the problem with, with uh, us is that when we become fearful, we can become forgetful. When we look out at our circumstances and they become more than we can handle, we can begin to forget what God has done in the past. You know, you, you might have had God meet you uh, miraculously, financially in a moment, and then you come to another moment and you, you're saying to yourself, well, that was for that moment. I don't know if the God's the same kind of God he is now. Not, and not to speak of presumption, but, but God wants to provide. He, he mentions it in, in Matthew 6, that he will provide for us as we seek his kingdom. And yet we find ourselves oftentimes fearing and therefore forgetting. We forget his goodness. We forget how he takes what little we have and he, he multiplies it. And, and the disciples are here and they're forgetting. He said, listen to this jam-packed complaint that they have. And I don't say this with judgment because I imagine I would be the same if not worse. But listen to how they say it. Where, Jesus, are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? They managed to get three zingers in one sentence. Where are we going to get enough bread? Jesus, we didn't plan. We're not, we didn't, I don't have a backpack full of food. We didn't call catering in. You know, Burger 21 isn't going to be here. Where are we going to get enough bread? Not only where are we going to get enough bread, he goes on, they go on and say in, in verse 33, where are we going to get enough bread in so desolate a place? We are in the middle of podunk nowhere. There is not a McDonald's for days. There's not, you know, there's not a, a sweet water nearby. You can tell where my mind is. Um, sweet water is good stuff. Anyways, um, we're in so desolate a place. He goes on and they go on and say, to feed so great a crowd. They're looking at their situation and their capabilities and they're looking around at, at, at their problem. 4,000 men plus women and children and saying, I mean, even if we did have a restaurant, even if we did have you know, supplies, how could we have planned for maybe what could be you know, 8,000 to you know, 10,000 people? Maybe more. H how can we deal with this? And, and they were forgetting because they were looking not at their savior, the one in whom their faith should have been, but they were looking in their circumstances. And again, I don't, I don't fault them. I don't want to judge because you and I often find ourselves in the same situation where we go into God and saying, God, I know that you said that you would do these things, but have you seen my situation? And when you say it that way, it sounds a little ridiculous. You know, it, it's like one of your children coming to you and saying, well, I, you know, I, I can't, I can't clean my room. I mean, it's, it's really messy. And you're like, mm, I mean, you made a mess. You can clean it up. But, and, and God is not necessarily calling us to, to do something, but he's calling us to a faith in him over against our circumstances, which often seem like an overly messy room that we cannot fix. 
And so they were forgetting. But Jesus, Jesus calls them to remember. He calls them to remember and to bring what little they have. He says to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few small fish. I, I'm so encouraged that at the very least, the disciples, they're, they're honest and, and they're present. You know, Jesus says, okay, well, what do you have? And, and my tendency would be to say, it doesn't matter what I have, it's not enough. I have not enough. That's how much I have, God. How much do I have? Less than enough. But, but they say, well, I mean, you're in charge. You've got seven loaves and some small fish. <laughs> and and they're, they're willing to follow him, it seems, into what seems like for them to be the unknown. And that's, that's all God is asking for. That's what faith is. It's not for you to figure out the way out. It's to follow the one who will take you out. Again, faith is not figuring out the way out. We can't figure out the way out. If we could, we would have. Christian, or humanity would have been different. We would have solved it. But because we are the problem, because Eddie Barnes is the problem, because our human nature is the problem, we cannot find the way out. But faith is not finding the way out. It's trusting the one who will bring you out. This is why, this, this is why it's so important to do things like read through the entire Bible. Because the, the, the picture of, of going out that we see in, in, in the Exodus, that informs so much of what we're seeing here. You know, God redeeming his people calling them out, leading them out of slavery, leading them to a place. That's a picture of faith for us. Moses wasn't figuring it out for the people. The people weren't figuring it out. Their, their job was to show up and follow. And the Christian life is to show up and follow. And these disciples were showing up and following. And when we trust God with our little, he multiplies it and uses it to accomplish his purposes Listen to this, verses 35 and following. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. Jesus will multiply our little. The disciples give the food to Jesus, he blesses it, he breaks it, he gives it to the disciples. They have the privilege of taking part in this miracle. They distribute it. If you put yourself in their position, I, I would love to, I just want to see their facial expressions as they go from, okay, to breaking it off, third person, fourth person, fifth person, sixth person, and they get to like the seventh person and they realize, wait a second, I still have bread. I still have fish. And they this is, it goes from being a scientific observation and they're putting together hypotheses to just being kind of crazy. And you got 12 disciples, 8,000 people maybe, and they just kind of like start throwing, you know, and it's, a, it's an amazing moment and everyone is, this is not, you know, we read the Bible sometimes, we don't put any sort of flesh on it and we're thinking, they handed it out in an orderly fashion and it was very quiet and calm and put together. No, I imagine that this was a bit of a party. And, and if, it, if I had been there, I would have just been like, you know, testing it out. You know, just wash it and see if anything, you know, maybe if I observe it, I'll see the, the loaf grow or, you know, it, maybe it's like boiling water. You don't notice it that, you know, someone yells and I get distracted and come back. Oh, it's big. I missed it. Dang it. Um, I apologize, children. Don't say that. Um, and 
But it, it was, it's a, that kind of moment where, where you're, you're caught up in the moment and, and they had the opportunity and the privilege of, of seeing this happen, this miracle happen for the second time. And they collect second, seven baskets full, more than enough for the disciples, more than what they started with, more than what they started with. Seven, enough for the Jews and the Gentiles. Seven, it, it's a picture of, of completion, in, in the prior story of feeding the, the uh, 5,000, they, they pulled up 12 baskets because they're 12 disciples, 12 tribes of Israel. And here we have seven, this picture of completion, both Jews and Gentiles, everyone. This idea that God has come to bring salvation and healing to everyone, everyone uh, who, who, who chooses to follow. You know, when... when uh, when my kids started getting money for birthdays and things, they would sometimes ask, can we go to Target? I wanna, I wanna buy a toy. And so, especially when they were younger, it was quite an interesting process because numbers didn't mean a whole lot. So we'd go and you know, one of my kids would have $5 and oh, I got $5, can I buy this, this video game system? And like, well, you maybe need a few hundred more, but, let, you know, but, but they'd look around and I would try to like, okay, well, what about you know, this Matchbox car? You know, you get the Matchbox car and you have some money left up, or you can get two Matchbox cars and, you know, and inevitably they would choose like a $20 toy or $30 toy. And, uh, and because they're little children with big cheeks and they look at you with the doe eyes and you're the fool who's taking your child to Target, you know, as a four-year-old. They're like, can I have this? And you're like, Yeah. You know, $5 will cover it, it's fine. And, and you, get, you get to the, the checkout and, and, and they're trying to give them, just you give me the $5 and I'll deal with the rest. And then you pull out your card, or I pulled out my card and I paid. And, and, and I am an imperfect father. I am not a perfect father. I am I'm so far beyond not perfect. And yet I understand that if I wanna bless my child, sometimes I will, I will take what little they have and I will multiply it for things that really they don't even need. But if, if I will do that for my child, for things that they don't need, then how much more will the Father do that for things that we do need? If, if, if I will multiply my, my, my child's money to buy them the latest thing that will be broken and, and, and given away in a week or two, then how much more will our Heavenly Father provide for us? This is why Jesus says, don't worry about whether you eat or drink or whatever you do because you are more valuable than the lilies of the field. You're more valuable than the, the birds of the air. You are, you're made in my image. You can trust me with your little. We can trust God to use whatever we have for his good purposes. God will use what you have. Now, family, again, maybe you're in a season where you are, you're pressed and you're pushing and you're laboring and you're, you're extending yourself. In, in, in faith, you're extending yourself. In your health, you're extending yourself. In your financial situation, you're extending yourself. In your relational situation, you're extending yourself. In your marriage, you're extending yourself. In your parenting, you're extending yourself. And you come to the end of the day and you say, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. I am empty. That is the moment where God wants to get you to. You know, we, we've been in an, an extended season of seeing what it means to be not in control. You know, just to speak frankly about the last few months, we have experienced a season 
of, of our control and our comfort being taken away. Our idea of safety, our idea of, of security, our idea of, of fellowship, our idea of, of, of comfort, and all of these things that kind of propped us up and made us feel like, you know, things are okay. God was like, knock, 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 knock. And not because he's unkind, not because he's a mean God, but because he wants to bring us to the place where we come to him like a child and say, I need you. I realize that I thought I needed this. I realized that I thought I needed this. I realized that I thought I had this. I had enough, but I don't. Maybe you don't have enough patience. Maybe you don't have enough money. Maybe you don't have enough time. Maybe you don't have enough knowledge or wisdom for what's ahead for you. The good news is that God, your father, does. And faith is not being able to figure it out for yourself or solve it yourself. It's being able to follow the one who will take you out. In Galatians 6, verse 9, the, the Apostle Paul reflects a bit on, on the idea of, of perseverance and of trusting. And he says this, Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. He says, the so then, this is how we ought to act. Whenever we have an opportunity, do good for everyone. I mean, that sounds intense. Do good for everyone. And what is the reason he says? Because we are not going to grow weary, not because we're awesome, not because we're strong, not because we're hopped up on, on Mountain Dew, but because we are, we are going to do good in due season, knowing that we are going to reap a harvest because of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. We are going to reap a harvest if we do not give up because we are going to trust in our Savior to bring us out. Don't get tired. And if you are tired, go to your Father. Don't disregard what little you have, but take what little you have. Be honest with God. Don't, don't say, I don't have enough. Just tell him what you have. God, I have enough for the morning and then I need your help through the afternoon and evening or else something bad will happen in, to my children. I have enough for through the end of the 16th and then God, I need your grace to figure out or I need your grace to figure out how I can take the first to the 16th and multiply that to the 31st to make it through this whole month with what I have. God, I, I have... I have very few relationships right now and I feel lonely and I have, I have you. I have this one friendship. What, this is what I have. Take it to God, entrust it to him and have faith that the God who loves you, who gave his son for you, will also multiply these things for his good purposes in your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you love us and we thank you that that love is not, it's not an artificial love. It's not a, a, a tongue-in-cheek love. It's not a just words-only love, but it's a motivated love that acts, that your love results in actions. God, I thank you that you care about us. I thank you that you, you love us in such a way that you promise to provide for us and that, Jesus, you promise to take us out that as we put our faith, not in our own ability to solve our problems, but we put our faith in you who takes us out, Lord, you will guide us out of our own Egypt. You will guide us through our own wilderness and you will guide us into the promised land. 
of your rest and your faithfulness to us. Lord, I pray for every person in this room who needs provision, who needs you to meet, and I ask God that you would meet them supernaturally, that you would cause faith to rise in this place, that you would cause faith to rise to those who are watching online, that you would cause faith to rise, not a, not a faith that is just rah-rah, uh, sis but a, a real trust in a God who saves, a real trust in a God who provides, a real trust in a God who redeems. Cause our faith to rise by your spirit. And if you've never trusted in Jesus, again, the difference between trusting in Jesus and trusting in yourself is who is taking you out? Who is bringing you out of Egypt? If you're trying to bring yourself out, if you're trying to make, you know, make a way toward God, if you're trying to justify yourself by your own actions, your own behaviors, your own commitments, you know, I go to church, I, I, I pray sometimes, I do good things. If, if that's your idea of, of getting closer to God, the bad news is that that will never suffice. But the good news is that, is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save sinners like you and me, and that he made a way through his life, his death, and his resurrection so that when we trust not in ourselves, but trust in him, trust in him to take us out, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to clothe us, clothe us with righteousness, and to take us out. If that's you, if you've never trusted in Jesus, but you want to trust him today, if you could just raise your hand or if you're online, if you could just let someone in, the, in the, one of the hosts know, we'd love to pray with you and we would love to, to give you something um, or, or, or help you along the way of, of walking out this faith. Well, Father God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the privilege of being able to meet together face to face. And we thank you for those who are online who are faithfully watching and waiting and, and fellowshipping with us from, from where they are. I pray that you'd bless them in Jesus' name. Amen.